my name is Doug, and uh, I have the distinct privilege of working with uh, the high school students here at the church. And uh, Brad just finished up last week a, uh, a series talking all about families and family life. And uh, tonight I have the privilege of being with you, or excuse me, this morning I have the privilege of being with you and sharing uh, just sort of a message, a snapshot of what we've been talking about in the high school ministry. So really great to be with you guys. A few years ago, I read a book by a guy named Andy Stanley. How many of you guys have heard of Andy Stanley? Pretty famous pastor. He's on the East Coast. And uh, he wrote this book called It Came From Within. And when I read this book, it was like the lights went on for me. And I said, I got to take this book. I got to hijack it. I got to make it a series. I got to share it with students because I just thought it was that good. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't read it, pick it up. It's a great read. And the reason I loved this book is because it, it emphasized and it focused in on what matters for us is not just what we do. It's not just about the surface. It's not just about behavior modification. That we actually need to focus in as to what is happening inside of our hearts. You know, if you're a student here today, if you're in elementary school, if you're in junior high, or if you're in high school or college, you know, people tell students all day long, uh, parents, coaches, youth pastors, teachers, we are constantly telling students, and for good reason, to be good, to behave, to do the right things, to do their homework, to tell the truth, to show up on time, to, you know, drive responsibly, say no to drugs. I mean, we, we tell students all day long to be good, and all of that is awesome and great. But I wonder how a good are we at equipping students or equipping young people to understand the status of their heart? How good are we at helping people understand what's going on on the inside? You know, the heart is this thing that Jesus constantly focused on. And when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we hear Jesus talking about this idea of the heart all the time. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 15, he, he was talking about some religious leaders at the time. He said, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus looks out at this this group of successful, high-functioning, socially thumbs-up, great people and says, these guys talk a good game. They look good. They have the goods. They're, They're wealthy. They look good on the outside, but inside, something's broken in their life. They're far away from me. And when Jesus talks about the heart, he's not talking about the muscle on the left side of our chest that pumps blood. He's talking about the heart, that intangible part of who we are, the center of who we are. The heart being that place that we love from, we give from, we do our family life from, we do our jobs from. The heart, the center of who we are, that place inside of us that our life flows from. And Jesus says the heart is the critical part of our lives. And so over the past few weeks in the high school ministry, we've been looking at four different monsters or four different creatures that can slither their way into our hearts and take up residence and wreak havoc in our lives. And this morning, I want to uh, share with you guys one of the creatures and one of the monsters that we've been talking about. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about the monster of anger. I want to talk about anger. Growing up, I was never really a school person. I don't know if you have a a kid like this or if maybe you were like this. I mean, school was one of those things that I did it because I had to do it. 
but it never really came easy to me, and it wasn't really my best thing. I uh, didn't like reading. I, if, it, um, if it involved like, a basketball hoop, a field, you know, if it was sports-related, I'm all about it. But when it came to schoolwork, when it came to studying, to reading, it wasn't my thing that I liked to do. In fact, my parents used to say I was sort of a fragile reader. It was very hard for me to read. And growing up, I was just naturally good at sports. Played a lot of sports, always found a lot of identity in what I could do when I played sports. And when I got into high school, I discovered football. You know, I never played football before, and then I got into high school, and all of a sudden, I went out for the team, and I loved it. Football for me was like a godsend. I mean, it was an amazing thing. You can go to school all day, do what you got to do, and then you get after school, you could tackle people. I mean, that is a sweet gig, right? I mean, it was awesome. I loved it. And our team, the school was kind of new at the time, and so we just were, were coming about as a team, and we had a lot of success as a football team, and I had a lot of success. And it was just an amazing time, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I fell in love with the sport, and I found a lot of identity in being a football player and being able to play and succeed at it. And finally, in my, my senior year, I, uh, I actually um, had so much success that I got a full-ride scholarship to play Division I football. And so for an 18-year-old kid, that's like winning the lottery, right? I mean, that is the, that's the goal. You can go to college, and it's free. I mean, that was sweet. I, I mean, it was like, my wife makes fun of me. She says, Doug, it's like your life apexed at 18. It's just gone downhill ever since. I don't know why she says that, but... I mean, it was awesome. It was a great time. It was a fun time. And I went like that, and then everything changed when I got to college. Everything changed when I started trying to play at that level. And what I found out is that high school football is a lot different than Division I football. And I found out the guys on the team are as good as me or better than me. And all of a sudden, the success that I enjoyed, the success that I had had, I didn't have it anymore. Things were harder. And no matter how hard I worked, no matter how many weights I lift, no matter how I ate, how I trained, I did not have the success that I had in high school. And there was this thing rattling inside of me and this idea that maybe I'm just a good high school player, I'm not going to be a good college player. And when that, that feeling in my life was very hurtful to me, very, very hard on me, because for so long I had had success, and now I was dealing with something I couldn't overcome. And for about three years, I developed and had in my heart a lot of hurt and a lot of anger. And I wasn't just angry at, you know, myself. I was angry at my coach. I was angry at the team. I was angry at the situation. I was kind of angry at everybody. I was kind of an angry guy. And if you've ever been angry before, you'll know that anger never stays in one area of your life. It leaks, right? It's impossible to just go to work all day and be so consumed with the anger and hurt at work to not bring it home. Anger always leaks. And my anger and my hurt was growing in my heart, and it was leaking in my life. It all came to a head one weekend. I uh, I had come home from school, and I was hanging out with some of my friends, and we were out at the lake, having a great time. And uh, me and my buddy Dan, we were sitting down on the shore and we were having a conversation. And at some point in the conversation, we had a little bit of a disagreement. He saw something one way, I saw something the other way. And, and to this day, I can't really remember what we disagreed about, but we both felt pretty strongly about it. 
And now remember, this is the time I'm sitting on a lot of energy in here, right? I got a lot of anger on the inside. On the outside, you can't see it, but it, it's in there. That monster's in there. And as we were disagreeing, our uh, voices started to raise, and we started to get a little, little heated. All of a sudden, we're not sitting down anymore, we're standing up. And then all of a sudden, we're actually, he's moving closer to me, and I'm moving closer to him. Until finally, he's right up in my face, and I'm right up in his face, and out comes the finger, right? And it's you always, and it's you always, and I can feel the heat and the anger welling up inside of me. And it's it's like I'm sitting on this rocket fuel, and I'm all hurt and angry because of all this other stuff that's happening in my life, that all of a sudden, it's coming out. I can feel it welling up. And, all the, and he's in my face, and I'm in, I'm in his face, and it's just, I can feel the pressure. I can feel the heat. Till finally, all of a sudden, I snap. And I step back, and I lean forward, and I headbutt him square in the face. And at this point, he receives it and falls back, and blood immediately starts pouring out of his nose. Found out later, I actually broke his nose. And my buddies jump in. They separate us. And I'm standing there, and I'm just like, it, this was a watershed moment for me. Because I realized at this moment, I have some anger. Like, like who does that? Who headbutts their friends in the face? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, this, that's not right. There's something up in my heart. I mean, where did that come from? Have you ever had that moment where, like, it's something comes out of you, and it's like a, it came from within. This thing jumped out of you and did something that you were just like, where did that come from? You say something, you're like, where did that come from? I'm happy to report that I actually don't headbutt people in the face anymore. And uh, I'm actually not a very angry person, if you know me. And um, I actually have worked through a lot of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today. And I'm I'm still working through. Uh, But anger is all around us. I mean, have you ever been there before? Have you ever had a a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment where the anger came out, where the rage came out, and you did something, or you said something, that you're like, wish I could take that back? I mean, I will never forget. I remember standing there thinking like, whoa, that's scary, what I just did. Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever done something or said something or said, ooh, that was scary? And it scared the people who saw it. It scared the people around you. Has your anger ever gotten you in trouble? Has your anger ever led you to a place where you didn't physically assault somebody, but you actually shredded them with your words? Have you ever had the realization that, you know, I'm not just angry sometimes, I'm angry all the time. Like, I get up in the morning, I'm angry. I go to bed, I'm angry. I have an anger issue. I got some hurt. I was talking with one of my friends this week, and he said, uh, growing up with his mom, he said his mom was always angry. In fact, he couldn't remember a time when his mom was not angry. He, and one time in an argument, he looked at his mom and said, you know what? You're only happy when you're angry. You are always angry. There's this lifestyle of anger with you. And what we know about anger and what we know in ourselves and what we've seen in others is anger has the power and the ability to devastate our lives and hurt relationships. And we see it in people around us, right? I mean, don't you know people, don't raise your hand, but don't you know people at work who are angry? 
like you know where their desk is and you don't go near them, you don't talk to them because you know there's some anger over there. There's some blame. There's some bitterness. And you don't dare get in that conversation. Or maybe you've had a boss before who's very angry. A boss who nothing's ever good enough. There's a lot of blame, a lot of bitterness, a lot of critical spirit. I remember after the, uh, the election on Facebook, I saw a lot of anger on Facebook. Anybody else see some anger? I mean, I saw on the feed, I saw a lot of people that were happy. I saw some people that were angry. And then I saw some people that were super fly TNT angry, right? I mean, and there's, there's anger all around it. We see, we see it all the time. Maybe you live with somebody who's angry. Maybe your spouse is angry. Maybe you look at one of your sons or one of your daughters and you say, you know what, they're, they're growing into an angry person. And maybe the ethic in your household is it feels like we're walking on eggshells because we never know how they're going to be today because there's a lot of anger there. And one of the ways that we, if, if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I have an anger problem. The way you find out is you ask somebody who lives with you because they always know. It's a trip. I mean, the angry person can be going crazy and not know they're angry, but everybody else knows. So if you want to find out if you're angry, don't do it now, but on the way home, turn to your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your mom and dad and say, mom or dad, am I angry? And then receive it. Don't fight it. Just receive it. And they'll tell you the truth. One thing we see in the scriptures in James chapter 1 verse 20, it says, the wrath of man does not produce God's righteousness. One translation says, the, um, the wrath of man does not bring about the life or the righteousness that God desires for us. It doesn't give us the good life, the happy life, the healthy life, the life that we so desperately want for ourselves, for our children, for our spouses, the life we were made for. Giving in to the wrathful lifestyle is not the way. Anger and hurt always go together. I said, I said earlier that I was angry because I was hurt. In fact, hurt and anger are married. I don't think you can be angry and not be hurt. And if you're hurt, it naturally turns into anger. Anger and hurt go together. In fact, if you've ever been to a, a Little League game or your son or daughter's sporting event, and you look down the sidelines and you see that parent blowing up their, tri- their child, trying to relive some failed sports career via their son or daughter, you know what you could say at that moment? You could say that person is angry because they're hurt, and we can pray for them, right? I mean, that hurt people hurt people. And when we're hurt, it naturally turns into anger. Another thing about anger that I've been thinking about and we've been talking about in the high school ministry is that whenever we're angry, whenever we're hurt, it's because we feel like, and many times rightly so, Something was taken from us. Something got hijacked. Something was stolen. In fact, when I look back and I think about that season of life when I was pretty angry, it's because my dream, my opportunity, my hopes were stolen from me. And that brought about anger. In fact, if you look at any anger, at the root of that anger, it's the belief that something or someone was stolen, was taken, was hijacked, was lifted. I mean, have you ever had somebody steal your good reputation? 
Have you ever had somebody who you thought they were your friends, you thought that they, you trusted them, you told them something, told them not to say anything, and they, of course they said something, and they stole your reputation? Have you ever had somebody make up things about you, spreading rumors, spreading gossip, stealing your good reputation? Have you ever had, if, you've, if you're in business, have a customer just go on a rampage against your business, trying to destroy your business, trying to steal all the good you do, trying to steal your reputation? Have you ever had your financial security stolen? Have you ever had a job stolen? Have you ever had a promotion stolen? Have you ever been in a contract with somebody, and they're supposed to do this side of the contract, you're going to do this side, and they don't live up to their side of the deal, and they take away that financial, financial security? Have you had a job or a promotion take away? Or maybe you work in a team at work and you're, you, you throw out an idea and your idea is stolen by one of your coworkers. Whenever we're angry, whenever we're hurt, it's because we believe or we see that something was taken from us, something was stolen, there was a theft, and now there's a debt, there's a score, there's an open account, and we want payback. Or if you're a parent here today and you look at your son or your daughter and you're like, you're angry and upset because they're losing opportunities because of their choices. They're losing opportunities you so badly want for them. You're, they're losing the hopes and dreams you want for them. And that makes us angry and hurt because it's being stolen. It's being taken. I think you can even have a... Um, a childhood stolen. I think it's possible to actually have innocence stolen. I have a buddy, and um, he told me, and this is his story, his dad wasn't a, a very nice guy and thought it was an okay thing to do to allow him to watch pornography as a young child. Thought that was an okay thing to do. And he looks back now as a grown adult and says, you know what, my dad stole my innocence. He took it from me. Stole my childhood. Or if you grew up with a family that was a little dysfunctional, maybe one of your parents walked out on the family, and, and you look at them today and say, you know what, you stole my childhood. You stole it. You stole what I wanted as a kid. I didn't have a safe home because you left. Whenever we're angry, whenever we're hurt, it's because something was taken. I think you can have a marriage stolen. You can have a friendship stolen. At the root of anger and hurt, there's a debt. There's something that was taken. And we feel this. We feel this deeply. And it's hard. The question then is, is there a way out? Is there a way out? Is there a way out of the anger, a way out of the hurt? Because it, what we know about life is living life is painful. Living life, there's inevitably going to be hurt. Inevitably, there's going to be anger. Inevitably, things are going to get stolen from us. Things will be taken from us. What do we do? How do we get out of the pain? How do we get out of the hurt? One of the things I love about the scriptures is that God is so interested in you and me having a healthy heart, having a clean heart. He's interested in you and me being free from the anger and the hurt and the trying to get paid back for things. That he writes a lot about it in, in the Bible. And today what I want to do is uh, we're going to be looking at one of the letters from a guy named the Apostle Paul. And one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is he was the kind of guy who knew what it was like to get angry. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, I, I think Paul was one of the more angrier people in the Bible. 
In the book of Acts, it says about Paul that he was a person who breathed out murderous threats against Christians. He was not a happy guy. Like one time he actually got letters from the high priest giving him the green light to go on a road trip to try to persecute Christians. He went to people's houses. He tried to ruin their businesses. He tried to get them thrown in jail. He was so consumed by his own racism and hate for anybody who would contaminate Judaism that he would actually go out and just persecute people because he thought it was a good thing to do. I mean, he was not a happy guy. He even got people stoned. And I don't mean stoned like, you know, like stoned. I mean stoned with rocks, murdered, stoned. Not a happy guy. Little grumpy. And then in Acts chapter 9, everything changes. He's on his way to go hurt people. And God knocks him off his high horse and changes his life forever. And frees him from his anger. Frees him from the rage. And he actually ends up writing most of the New Testament. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And this is what Paul writes. And I think it's important to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't, he was in jail. He wasn't in Cancun. He wasn't in Hawaii. He was in a prison cell. And I'm not talking about like cable TV prison. I'm talking about first century prison cell. And this is what he writes. And I think it's really important to remember that. So from prison, this is what he writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, this is what he says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Verse 26. He says, be angry. You're like, that's awesome. The Bible says be angry, right? I just found my life first. Okay. Be angry. So next time you get in an argument with your spouse, just be like, you know, honey, I'm just being biblical, right? Be angry. Okay. Be angry. Yet do not sin. Be angry, yet do not sin. It's interesting. The Bible never says, and God never says, you know, we're not to get angry. In fact, anger is a necessary part of life. In fact, anger can be absolutely healthy and good and something we need to experience. I mean, if somebody walked in your house and punched your spouse in the throat and you don't get angry about it, that's an issue, right? We have to get angry about things. We have to. If we're not getting angry about something, something is wrong. We have to get angry. But Paul says, be angry, yet don't let that anger morph into sinful anger. Don't let that anger turn into headbutting your friend in the face anger, right? Be angry, but don't let that anger lead us to sin. And then he says something that's just profound. He says, be angry, don't, but yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. When I first heard this, um, when Michelle and I were getting married, we, we did the whole like premarital counseling deal. And uh, our counselor told us, so when you get married, you need to never go to bed angry. You need to work everything out and then you can go to bed. And I'm being the not married guy, I was like, all right, that sounds awesome. We'll totally do that, right? Like Michelle and I, we're gonna hash it all out. We're never going to bed angry. And the only problem was that problem with that is I got married, and I realized that it's not reality for Michelle and I. And we, in a, the first couple of years of marriage, we'd stay up late at night trying to hash stuff out. And it finally got to the point where it was, you know, let's just go to bed, and we'll deal with it in the morning, right? And so the first time I heard this applied was in relationship to marriage. And if you're here tonight, and man, you can go to bed and not get angry at, you know, go to bed not angry, I say that's great. But 
I wonder if Paul is meaning something more here. I wonder if he's applying this to something else here. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Maybe he means don't let the anger of one season of life carry in to the next season of life. Don't let the anger from middle school, high school, carry on into college and into your 20s. Don't let the anger of your last job come into this job. Don't let the anger you have towards your mom and dad come into the parenting of your own children. Don't let the anger you have with your first spouse or your, in your first marriage come into your current marriage. Paul's saying, don't tote around the anger. Don't pay it forward. Don't bring it with you. It's got to get dealt with in the season that it happens. It's not safe. It's too cancerous. It's too dangerous. It's too toxic. It's got to get gone. It can't continue throughout the seasons. And then he says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And when I first read that, I was like, what? Do not give the devil an opportunity. And I wonder if he means that there's something about our anger. If we're toting around bags and boatloads of anger, that actually, that anger has the potential to be a tool in Satan's hand. That anger has the potential to be a gateway or maybe a door for Satan or for evil in our lives. So Paul goes to great. He says, you know what? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get it out of your life. To which we say, so, so what, are you, what are you saying to do? What do we do? He goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul says, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. When I first read this, I thought of... Um, my mom used to have, we would have like cleaning days when we were kids. I don't know if you guys in your family have a cleaning day where it's sort of like, okay, block off the calendar. Things aren't happening. Everybody's home. We are cleaning today, right? Maybe you, you live with somebody like this. And so my mom, we would have cleaning days, and she would put on Kenny G, and we would have garbage bags, and stuff was getting donated or thrown out. And when in doubt, throw it out, right? That was the motto of the day. Okay, so... And we would get stuff gone, right? Get stuff out. And she would take drawers. And I remember put the drawers in, and there'd be like pencils and coins. And you're like, Mom, you're throwing away money. Like, what's up with that, right? But it was just this ruthless stuff is getting gone today. It's out of here. We're not storing stuff anymore, all right? It's got to be out of our house, out of our life, once and for all. It's a trip for me that we can be like that with our addicts, with our backyards, with our kids' playroom. But when it comes to our heart, we may not be like that. I mean, we'll clean out junk, we'll clean out clutter all day long, but then when it comes to our heart, we'll let stuff chill and sit and park in our hearts. Paul says, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Get it gone. And this is how, this is how we're to do it. He says, Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Paul says the answer to the hurt, bitterness, anger, rage, is forgiveness. And if we are serious about following Jesus, if we're serious about going after the life he longs to give us, we are called to forgive. 
This might be the most unpopular idea in, in our faith. And it's not something I made up or anybody made up. It's something that God gave us. He said, if we're going to be free of the junk, if we're going to get rid of the junk, we have to forgive. And our pushback to this is you say, no, you know, Paul, like, I, I don't want to forgive because it's complicated. Like, he took stuff from me. She took stuff, something from me. My first marriage didn't work out, or my, my parents weren't there. or You know, we have a reason to say, you know what, it's complicated. I don't want to touch it. I can let it sit there because they did something wrong to me. They stole something from me. And we say stuff like, you know, if I was to forgive them, it's like letting them off the hook. And that's not fair. That's not right. How is that just? We want payback. We want an apology. We want restitution. We want, we want something. We want them to feel the way ma- they made us feel. And if Paul was here today, he would meet with you, he would meet with me, and he would listen to us. And he would hear our story, and we could, we could sit with him, and we could tell him everything. We could talk about how our dad never hugged us, how our first marriage fell apart, how our kids are just brutal on us. I mean, we could tell him the whole story, all of it. And you know what he would say? He would, he would cry with us. He would, you know, if we need to call the police, let's call the police. If we need to call CPS, we'll call CPS. He would get angry over the injustice. He would absolutely feel what we, what we feel. And then at the end of the conversation, he would look at us, full of love, full of the Holy Spirit, and he would say, he would ask, are you ready to get rid of it? Are you ready to get it gone? Like, let's, okay, let's do it all we need to do. If we need to call the police, let's call the police. But after we call the police, after we file reports, after we do all that, are you ready to get it out of your life once and for all? It's a lot like the doctor saying to us, if you've ever been to the doctor and had a, a bad health report and they, the doctor's there, he's got the lab sheet, and the uh, doctor looks at you and says, you know what, you have cancer. I mean, if you've ever had that experience, I've never had that experience before. I can't imagine what that feels like. But I would imagine the first thing that I would say if the doctor looked at me and said, Doug, you have cancer, I would say, I wouldn't say, okay, who gave it to me? How can I go pay them back? Or how can I go get even? I would say, okay, doctor, how do we get this stuff gone? I don't want a cancerous cell in my body. I want life. I want freedom. I want to live. Let's do it. What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? Let me get this out of my heart. Get this out of my life. What matters most is getting rid of the junk. See, guys, it's not about fair. It's not about even. The supreme priority is having a good heart. It's having a clean heart. It's having a heart that's right and real and alive. Forgiveness is the only way to freedom and a clean heart. Forgiveness is the answer to the anger. Somebody told me a long time ago, they said, you know, if you're going to forgive somebody, you have, you have to actually forget what they did to you. And I've always hated that. I, I just think that's not true. Because things can happen in our lives that I don't care what happens, I'm not going to ever forget about this. And, and really, I don't think forgiveness... Forgiveness is not like, it's not, it has nothing to do with even emotions. It's saying, you don't owe me anymore. The debt, the thing you took from me, I release you. 
You don't owe me anymore. I'm not looking for payback. I'm not looking for restitution. I release you from the debt. Forgiveness doesn't mean we become best friends. Doesn't mean we like each other. Doesn't mean I let you watch my kids. Doesn't even mean we get married again. But forgiveness is saying you don't owe me anymore. I'm not looking for payback. It's like a bank of Amer- if a Bank of America called me and said, Doug, we just love you and Michelle so much. We want to forgive your mortgage. We want to release you from the mortgage. What's the immediate question we have, right? How much do I owe, right? I mean, that's, that, that lets you know how big that forgiveness is, right? And, and it's, it's such like that. It doesn't mean Bank of America likes me. It doesn't mean they're going to lend me money again. But they say, you know what? We release you of the debt. Zero. You owe us zero. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. I release you of the debt. And here's what we know. We know that most of the things that we're hurt about, most of the things that we're angry about, are things, even if the, party, if the other party came in the room and owned everything and apologized and said, what can I do to make it up to you? What can I do to make it right? You would say, well, there's really nothing you can do to make it right. You can't make it up to me, right? I mean, how do you get a good reputation back? How do you get a childhood back? How do you get innocence back? How do you get a broken relationship back? How do you get a first marriage back? So many of the things that were heard about, even if the other party was here, we couldn't get paid back on. And the scariest thing is that we can waste so many years in tears trying to settle scores that can't be settled. Forgiveness is the way out. It's the way to freedom. It's the way to health. It's the way to happiness. It's the way to a clean heart. Then Paul says something in verse 32, and and he wraps it up with this. And what he says next is so profound. And it's something that I, it's my hope that we would never stop thinking about what he says. He says in verse, in the rest of verse 32, after he says, get rid of it, forgive others, then he says something that's just amazing. He says, forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. He says, forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. He says, in light of what Christ did for you, in light of what Christ did to me, we ought to do the same for others. God forgave me. Now I can forgive others. God forgave you. Now you can forgive others. This is the horsepower to allow us to forgive other people because Jesus forgave us. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5.8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, while, while I took responsibility for nothing in my life, Jesus took responsibility for everything. While my middle finger was in the air, Christ died for me. If you were to think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life, while you were doing that, Christ died for you because he loves you. May we drive in and dive in deeper into what Jesus did for you and for me. And as we do this, we now have the energy and the ability to extend that kind of radical grace and radical love to others. God forgave me. I can forgive others. 
So I want to give you guys or this morning just a few practical things to think about as we kind of wrap our, our minds around this topic. Just three things that we can do that's practical as we think about this idea of forgiveness. If we're serious about getting our hearts right and getting clean and free and having the good life, the life that Jesus wants for us, there's, I think there's three things we got to do. The first step to a clean heart, I believe, is we need to spend some time thinking about who I'm angry with. We need to answer the question, with whom am I angry? And as life moves forward and our jobs continue and your kids get older, you know, it's sometimes easy to forget who we're angry at. Especially if that anger is from another season, a long time ago, far, far away ago. And we look back at that time and we think, you know, I, I forgot who I was angry at. It, this is not an easy thing. We have to spend some time thinking about with whom am I angry? With whom am I angry? Am I angry at my dad? Am I angry at my mom? Am I angry at my first husband? Am I angry at my, uh, my son? Who, with whom am I angry? We have to identify the party. And then the second thing I think we need to do is we need to identify what they took from me. What did they steal? What did they take? It's back to the, the Bank of America analogy, you know. It's like the bank forgives me, but what, what do I owe them? Because if, if forgiveness is going to be real, we have to understand what was taken from me, what was stolen, what was leveraged, what was taken from me. And if we're going to make forgiveness meaningful, we have to identify it. And I, and I think it's even important to write it down because things become real when we write them down. So with whom am I angry and what did they take from me? And then the third thing that we're called to do is we decide, we need to decide that they don't owe us anymore. They don't owe me anymore. doesn't mean I like this person. doesn't mean we hang out. doesn't mean they watch my kids. doesn't mean we get married again. But they don't owe me anymore. Debt canceled. Account closed. The ledger goes away. It's finished. It's gone. This idea of forgiveness is it's difficult to talk about. It's difficult for me to get up here and even preach about it because it's something that is so not normal. It's something not from this world. It's something we don't want to do. It's something that's not natural or normal. Yet it's something that we have to do if we're going to have clean hearts. If we're going to have the heart that God wants us to have, forgiveness is the only way. And I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to wrestle with this? Would you be willing to do some heavy lifting with this idea? Would you be willing today or tomorrow or in the next few weeks Maybe spend some time with this idea of like, man, maybe I'm angry about some stuff. Maybe I've got some hurt. Maybe I've got some junk that I've got to get out of my heart. I've got to get out of my life. Would we be willing, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our jobs, our coworkers, and for the sake of our own hearts, to deal with this, to wrestle with this, to engage with these ideas? And imagine what could happen if we did. Imagine the freedom that would be for you and for me if we dealt with our anger and got the hurt out of our lives. You know, we got the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I don't know about you, but in my family, there's a little bit of dysfunction, a little bit of anger, a little bit of hurt, and, uh, you know, when we get together, we talk a lot about the weather, and there's certain subjects we don't talk about, if you know what I'm talking about, and could you imagine what could happen in your family, in my family, the anger and hurt Stuff that's been there for years got dealt with. 
and got away, got out of the house, got swept clean. Could you imagine the health and happiness that could happen for us? Imagine what could happen if this many people said, you know what, we don't care about holding on to stories or payback. We want hearts that are right with God and right with others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much just for this time. Thanks, God, that we can gather and talk about this um, challenging topic, Lord. I pray that you give us grace as we go from here and we think about these things. And um, I don't know where this lands for all of us, Lord. I don't know how you'll use this. I don't know what needs to be done, God. But I pray that you would uh, just give us grace as we learn to forgive, as we learn to get the hurt and anger out of our lives. Lord, give us grace this day. In your name we pray. Amen.